This is true news, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. I'm Rick Wiles. World War III will advance tomorrow when Russia formally absorbs several Ukrainian territories into the Russian Federation. The event will take place on Friday in Moscow, according to Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov. Let's look at this Reuters report published by the Jerusalem Post today. Headline, Russia to officially annex Ukrainian territories in the Federation on Friday. Doc has uh, some of the details from this Reuters article. Thanks, Rick. A signing ceremony accepting occupied Ukrainian territories into the Russian Federation will take place on Friday, Russian media reported on Thursday. Now, following the referenda on becoming part of Russia in the Kherson, Donetsk, Luhansk, and Zaporizhia regions, the President Vladimir Putin will give a speech and participate in a signing ceremony officiating the annexation. He said, quote, tomorrow at 1500 in the Grand Kremlin Palace in the St. George's Hall, a ceremony will be held to sign agreements on the entry of new territories into the Russian Federation. That was issued by Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov. He said that uh, according to Russian state media outlet RIA Novosti. So, uh, so it's now official all done except for the shouting that's right so, so tomorrow uh, after the ink dries uh, eastern ukraine will be russian territory in the eyes of the russians it's not going to be accepted by nato and and the western world and certainly not going to be accepted by uh president Zelensky of ukraine right the issue now is what will the Ukrainian military do? And what will NATO do? Will they back off and allow Russia to plant its flag in eastern Ukraine? Knowing, knowing what Putin has said he will do, knowing what Medvedev said that they would do, that they would use nukes to defend every inch of Russian territory, clearly say that when these territories become Russian property, they are prepared to nuke the West right. if there are any attacks on uh, Russian troops. That's, that's what we're facing starting tomorrow. So the first thing I saw, uh, Interfax News, uh, Russian Ministry of Defense. Uh, they're basically well, mobilizing they're troops. They're mobilizing troops to defend what they call the liberated territories. So the Russian Ministry of Defense announced that after combat coordination, units of mobilized citizens and volunteers will begin to carry out tasks to defend the liberated territories. That's eastern Ukraine. It said, quote, citizens called up from the reserve as part of partial mobilization and volunteers had begun combat coordination as part of units at training grounds in close proximity to the areas of combat missions, the press release says. After conducting combat coordination, the unit staffed by mobilized citizens and volunteers will begin to carry out tasks to control and defend the liberated territories, as well as acting as part of reserve and reinforcement units, the agency explained. So basically, the uh, drafted people, the people that have been called up out mm -hmm. of reserves, and uh, they're really not drafted because they're already in the reserves. By the mm -hmm. way, the Russians have 12 million men in the reserves. Yes. So they've only called up 300,000 of them so far. And what, you know, what was uh, reported last week when Mr. Putin signed that decree was that Article 7 of that decree, which was um, redacted, the public couldn't read it, right. 
there are people who claim that it actually authorized him to mobilize one million troops. Right. Bottom line, Doc, is if you get sent, if you get sent to those regions tomorrow, you're on the front line of World War III. That's true. You might as well go to, that's like going to Normandy. You're on the front line of World War III. That's where the heaviest fighting is going to take place. So this is the new Eastern Front, isn't it? It is. Just like out of World War II. Um, So this is is becoming more tense by the day. And uh, we're also seeing, uh, this is a Commerzant newspaper in Russia, Zelensky to convene an urgent meeting of the uh, Ukrainian National Security uh, Council tomorrow. Right. So this is to be anticipated as a response to uh, these new measures by Russia. Russia now uh, taking ownership of eastern Ukraine. Um, now, there are certain members of NATO in response to this that want to see uh, some actions taken against Russia. Uh, this is from RT. NATO member wants a devastating retaliation against Russia. Um, and uh, this is mainly being stir- stirred up by Poland. Poland is the, uh, is the one the Polish uh, uh, defense minister and foreign ministers have been talking a lot about retaliating against Russia. Well, at the same time, Poland is licking its chops and anticipating... For, for Western Ukraine. Yeah, to, get, to take control of Western Ukraine So, in, in a post-World War III settlement. So in the uh, course of a conversation here, the Polish foreign minister is calling for... Uh, the condition for the participation of NATO forces in the conflict in Ukraine. This is uh, being reported by Ria Novosti. Uh, Polish Foreign Minister Zbigniew Rao did not rule out the participation of NATO forces in hostilities in Ukraine if nuclear weapons are used there. At the same time, the Russian authorities have repeatedly said that NATO countries are already de facto participating in the conflict in Ukraine. According to Sergei Lavrov, the members of the alliance supplying weapons to Kiev cannot claim that they are not involved in the Ukrainian conflict. NATO is fighting against Russia, using Ukraine as a springboard, and that was emphasized by the first deputy head of the presidential administration, Sergei Kiryenko. Uh, If it came to the use of nuclear weapons at the same time, there would definitely be a violation of the consensus of the members of the Security Council. I'm talking about the permanent members of the Security Council. All these weapons... Uh, excuse me, uh, countries are the owners of nuclear weapons, Rao said in an interview with radio station RMF-FM. He added that until now, no one had considered the possibility of using nuclear weapons. He said in such a situation, the response of NATO countries would probably be the same as presented by the head of the U.S. National Security Council, Jake Sullivan. This would lead to a non-nuclear response on the territory of Ukraine. We'll talk to you more about that here in just a minute. The Polish minister clarified that he does not exclude the direct entry of NATO forces into the territory of Ukraine. Did Jake Sullivan mean this? It cannot be ruled out, but it must also be said that this would not be a necessary procedure because conventional weapons such as aircraft, appropriate missiles can be used and not necessarily from Ukrainian territory, he said. So one of the interesting things that uh, a lot of these uh, different foreign leaders now have been saying they want to see retaliation against Russia if Russia should use nuclear weapons of some kind, whether it's strategic or tactical. But they have been uh, very, I guess, uh, uh, cautious in their statements of saying that we would that the West would respond with a nuclear mm-hmm. response. It would be catastrophic. It would be bad. It's going to we're going to go all in, but they won't commit to 
using nuclear forces themselves. So, and that's what you're you know, seeing in this article too. But Doc, we've, we've reached a, we've reached a stage where there's open discussion yes. of NATO troops entering Ukraine to fight Russia, and open discussion on whether NATO should use nuclear weapons against Russia. Yes, that's where we're at today. The gravity of this crisis has deepened, has worsened. It's 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 worsening. By the day. I mean, look at if you go back to March or April of this year and consider the things that we were saying, what could happen, and then look at what is being said this week. Look at the difference. We, we have reached this. We've reached the place now, Doc, where NATO NATO officials are openly talking about nuking Russia. Russia is openly talking about nuking NATO. And, and few people seem to be bothered Moved. by any of this. You're right. So Everybody thinks it's, oh, it'll probably last a couple of hours and they'll clean it up and it'll be over. No. There may not be anybody left. I mean, you could, I mean, we could be looking at one to two billion people dying in a matter of hours or days. And that's not beyond the realm of possibility either. No. Now, somehow in our minds, we've got the idea, well, if we do have a nuclear war, it'll be a little a little, a one. little one. Yeah, right. <laughs> a controlled one, a limited one. No. I'll just remind folks, a limited a nuclear a war was the one we uh, pursued against Japan at the right. end of World War II. And so right. that's what a limited nuclear war that's looks right. like. You know, and I want to repeat, Doc, something I've said several times since February. I've said World War III has already started. And at times people say, well, Rick, I, you know, there hasn't been a nuclear war. How can, how can you say World War III has started? No. The nuclear weapons will be the end of World War right. III. That's and not the beginning. That's the ending of World War III. And Pope Francis agrees with you. We've already started World War III. He said that himself yes. several times. We actually have a soundbite of the uh, Polish uh, foreign minister outlining what he would uh, recommend as far as NATO and Poland and the response to Russia. I think he was on NBC. Right. And so uh, let's watch this. NATO should respond decisively and firmly. Militarily? Should they respond militarily? To the best of our knowledge, Putin is threatening to use tactical nuclear weapons on Ukrainian soil not to attack NATO, not to attack NATO, which, which means that NATO should respond in a conventional way, but the response should be devastating. And I suppose this is the clear message that NATO alliance is sending to Russia right now. And just to be clear, Mr. Foreign Minister, when you say NATO should respond in a devastating way, do you mean militarily or economically with more sanctions? Quite frankly, if Putin is going to break the consensus or of five uh, permanent members of the Security Council, all of them are nuclear powers. And so far there's a consensus that nuclear nuclear weapons cannot be used under no under no circumstances so the response should be conventional 
So the uh, thinking, or the, uh, I guess the thinking of those that mm-hmm. are in control is those members, uh, the permanent members of the UN Security Council have kind of, whether they've written it down in stone or anything, they've made a general consensus that nuclear weapons will never be used. And so uh, basically he's making the argument, even if Russia does decide to use nuclear weapons, the rest of the permanent members of the Security Council have made a commitment that they're not going to do to do that, to use nuclear weapons of any kind. Uh, and so but the response, response would be, be, but the response from NATO should be devastating. Yes. Okay, so let's think this out. What is your definition of devastation? Well, uh, you'd want to attack infrastructure. You'd want to destroy uh, the means of production, the uh, energy supply, uh, pipelines, uh, telecommunications, mm-hmm. anything to totally destroy the ability for our country to function. Okay, and. Uh, if we follow this man's logic, Russia's just going to sit there for days and let them do it and let them blow up their infrastructure? Absolutely not. And, and they've already outlined what their response is going to be if they see themselves threatened as a as a nation. And we've heard this from several mm-hmm. Russian leaders. If they see the their the ability for Russia to continue to exist as Russia, then. They don't see how you can have a world without Russia. That's right. They said if, if there's no Russia, there's not going to be anybody else. Right. So now we may already be seeing just kind of the first inklings of that. Of course, the pipeline story this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got the two Russian pipelines. I think it's odd that, uh, uh, you know, they're making the accusation that Russia blew up two of its own pipelines, and yet it didn't blow up the pipeline that opened the other day. I'm going from Norway to Poland. Right. So, right. yeah, you would think the own. Russians would blow up that one, right? Yeah. But no, they blew up their own. That's you know, NATO there's a, logic. There's a fourth leak now. So yes, there were four explosions. That. So, uh, the, the uh, Der Spiegel in Germany published a report uh, that the German investigators assume that the bombs were used with high explosive power. I don't so. think you need a scientific uh, team to investigate um, that explosion and come up with that. That conclusion, uh, but they do talk about uh, how much power had to be used yes. to blow up these pipelines. So, according to Spiegel information, the German security authorities assumed that the tubes or the pipelines of the Nord Stream pipeline were damaged by massive explosive devices. And this allows conclusions to be drawn about the possible group of perpetrators. Uh, the German security authorities were convinced that highly effective explosive devices were needed to interrupt the. Nord Stream pipelines in the Baltic Sea. Now, according to the Spiegel information, it was calculated that explosive devices with an effect comparable to that of 500 kilograms of TNT must have been used to destroy the tubes. The seismic signals registered by various measuring stations were also included in the estimate. The previously unknown estimates support the assumptions that only a state actor can be behind the action. So far, the federal government has held back with speculation about the background to the interruption of the pipelines. Now, the federal government is hoping for more information from a more detailed examination of the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines, which were interrupted to the uh, northeast and southeast of the Baltic Sea Island of Bornholm. In security circles, it was said that divers or remote-controlled robots could possibly assess the damage at the weekend. In the best case scenario, one could then draw initial conclusions about the type of explosion underwater and the explosive use, according to security circles. However, it is difficult to predict how many traces can still be found. 
uh, repair of the pipeline is now considered very unlikely in security circles. And since the damaged tubes are currently full of seawater, the special inner coating is corroding very weak, quickly, according to Berlin. And according to the analysis, once the pipes are flooded, the pipeline can no longer be used to transport gas. So basically, they have pretty much put Nord Stream 1 and 2 out of commission. Once the seawater gets inside. It starts corroding the inner lining inside. It's done. So Nord Stream is done. So, so that's why Russia did it, right? Yeah. To blow up their own $30 billion project, really $50 billion when you consider the whole lifetime of the two pipelines. When they've already turned off the valve. Yes. And shut off the gas. Yes. They decided to blow up the pipeline just because they're mean. So it's a state actor. This is what the Germans are saying. It's a state actor. And notice that they keep using a state actor here. And so mm -hmm. we'll draw some conclusions here later a, a on. State, a state, a government that has experience with explosives, like bringing down the World Trade Center. Right. I mean, because that's the equivalent of some of this. We're talking 500 tons of TNT, the equivalent of that. Now... Uh, we have kilograms, a tweet here. Yes, yeah, yes. Uh, 500 kilograms, excuse me. Uh, now we have, uh, this is a tweet uh, that shows just how strong a Nord Stream pipe is. It's a steel pipe, has a wall of uh, the, the outer di uh, shell is 1.6 inches of steel. It's coated with another 6 to 11 centimeters of steel reinforced concrete. And then each section of the pipe weighs 11 tons, which goes to 20 to 24 tons after the concrete is applied. And so this is no small thing at all. This is a, a, this is a major piece of uh, construction, and it takes a great deal of explosive power to be able to make any kind of damage with that. Uh, Doc, so, I don't remember uh, exactly when Russia started building Nord Stream. <clears throat> it's been quite some time, I mean, I guess over a decade. I don't remember. I've, you know, we've talked about it for a long, long time here. Um, what I'm trying to, to wrap my mind around is the, the gravity of what has happened. That th this this pipeline's never going to come back online again. It's it's destroyed. It's ruined. Right. And that changes the energy equation in the world. Those explosions change the energy equation of the world. And so you have to ask yourself a very honest question. Who stands to gain? Who stands to gain from the loss of those two major pipelines that Russia had going to Europe? And who loses? Right. I mean, obviously Russia loses. Yes, big but, time. but Europe loses. Yes. So the, big, the two big losers are Russia and Europe. The you would supplier, think you would the think supplier you and the customer. Yes. Europe's the customer. Russia's the supplier. They're the big losers. So the, the idiotic concept that Russia blew up its own pipeline just to hurt its customer, it is so ridiculous. It's so outrageous. It's as, it's as outrageous as telling the world that a, a group of Saudi hijackers who didn't know how to fly Boeing aircraft right. 
that took private plane lessons. In Cessnas. <laughs> right. Came to America, hijacked some planes, and flew them into the World Trade Center. And, and the Pentagon. And the Pentagon. And the Trade Centers fell down, including building number seven that didn't get hit. Right. Now, that's a conspiracy theory. So, the U.S. government, NATO, and the me news media is pushing a, an outrageous conspiracy theory. That Russia blew that, up its own Russia pipeline. That Russia blew up its own pipeline just to be nasty. When it is a tremendous financial loss to Russia. It's also a major financial loss to Europe, which was Russia's major client. Russia doesn't want to blow up Europe. They want to sell gas and make money. The United States, under several presidents, said we're not going to allow, we're not going to allow Nord Stream to operate. And the U.S. did everything it could to convince Germany and other European countries not to participate with the Russians in building that pipeline. And so Nord Stream 2, about ready to come online, and what happens? Conflict in Ukraine gives them an opportunity to shut down, at the time, just shut down Nord Stream 2. Mm -hmm. And then eventually Nord Stream 1 gets shut down, Russia turning the valve off. That's right. And now, with seawater inside the pipelines, they're done. They're finished. Right. It'll take Russia another decade to build the pipelines. Meanwhile, during that decade, others will supply gas to Europe. Others. Others. So let's go down that road and okay. let's see what we can discover. I mean, we know, we already know that the U.S. wants to ship cargo ships of, of gas. But I mean, are there other players that might there are benefit? Other, there are other players okay. in this thing. So let's take a look at what we have. Uh, by the way, um, before we get there, um, I'll show you the, the two competing Scenarios of who blew it up. Right. Uh, first of all, the Telegraph in London, Russian warships and submarines spotted near sabotage Nord Stream pipeline. So if you read that headline, what, what's the assumption there? They were there to blow it up. Right. So, well, they might have been there to see who blew it up. That might be another possibility there. So uh, the Telegraph reports Russian Navy support ships, a warship and submarines, were spotted close to the Nord Stream pipelines before the suspected sabotage of the gas supply links to Europe, it has emerged. European security officials spotted the boats on Monday and Tuesday. Underwater explosions were registered on Monday evening, and four major gas leaks were caused by the unprecedented damage on Tuesday. So you see how they're building up the narrative now. Well, there were Russian ships out there. Um, in a separate incident, Russian submarines were seen not far from the area in the Baltic Sea, which encompasses Danish and Swedish territorial waters last week, CNN reported. Satellite images of two Russian warships in Danish waters near the pipeline in June have also been published, and other images of all ship movements are being analyzed by German secret services. One theory is that Russia laid the explosives far in advance. Modern sea mines can be deployed and programmed to explode when they detect certain sounds. Okay, so that's the Western... Um, storyline on who did it. Okay. Then we take a look at TASS from Moscow. All right. NATO conducted drills near near Nord Stream leaks, uh, leak sites in July, according right. to a diplomat. So uh, NATO member countries conducted drills in July using deep sea equipment. 
near the Nord Stream's leak site, Russian Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Maria Zakharova said at a briefing Thursday. Back in July, there were NATO drills with the use of deep-sea equipment in the area of the island of Bornholm, she said. Zakharova also stressed that the region was crammed with NATO infrastructure. Now, another report I saw today, uh, it said that that area was, they called it the U.S. zone, mm-hmm. uh, implying that basically the U.S. Uh, you know, held control of that particular area of water. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we'll have some more on that here in just, uh, just a moment here. So um, now, of course, we're denying any involvement with it at all, okay? The, the U.S., uh, this is uh, uh, from... Uh, uh, there's Gen- no evidence. This is Jennifer Griffin. You can trust from, her. From Fox News Channel. And she assured the Fox News audience, you can be assured the United States had nothing to do with blowing up those pipelines. And how did she know, Doc? Because she asked the Pentagon. She asked the senior military official, can you rule out that the U.S. was involved? Yeah, we were absolutely not involved. Well, there you Rick, go, I, Doc. That's I, it. I swear on, on my Army training manual that I nothing, we had nothing to do with it at all. There you go. That's, okay, that, case closed. Well, what, Russia did it. Russia did it. Is Jennifer Griffith, is she that gullible or does she think... She's deep every, state, Rick. Or, or does she think everybody else is gullible? <laughs> so, yes, part number two. Or is it both? So... so um, well, no. let's, uh, let's take, uh, oh, yeah, here's this next one, uh, Doc. This is number 25 euro. Yeah, uh, week, Rick week. found this article. This is oh, an article from last week, yeah. okay, the 20th, so uh, more than a week ago. So it, this is the headline in your week. Germany will never open Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, assures the prime minister of Lower Saxony. That's a, a state in Germany. This is a week ago. Yes. So what did he know that a lot of other people didn't know? Stephen Weil, the Prime Minister of the German Federal State of Lower Saxony, speaking in an interview with the German news agency DPA on Monday, September 19th, stated that the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, which was completed in 2021, will never be put into operation and will never supply Russian gas to Germany. He stressed that he was adamant this will not happen even after the end of the era of Russian President Vladimir Putin. He said the loss of trust is so fundamental that there will never again be a situation in which the German government could rely on Russian energy carriers, explained Weil. There will be no energy partnership with Russia in the future, the prime minister of one of the largest federal states of Germany assured. The Russians burned all the bridges a long time ago, destroying the most important asset of the partnership, trust, he added. Well, they trusted the Russians all the way up to 2021, didn't they, Rick? They did. By allowing the pipelines to be built. Germany wanted the pipeline. They, they were financing the it. They wanted the gas. But suddenly they don't want the gas anymore. It's the United States that opposed it the entire time. Um, let me go back. Put the number 25 back up on the screen. I just want to look at the headline. So, Doc, um, let's say, let's say in, a, in, in a particular city, uh, say in Philadelphia, Okay, and there's a there's a a neighborhood pizza shop that everybody knows it's owned by the mafia. Right. Okay, it's a front. The mafia is laundering money through the pizza shop. Okay, everybody knows it, but they got good pizza. Right. Okay. And a family comes in and decides they're going to open up a pizza shop on the other side of the street. And the mafia, Don, says, 
I assure you, that pizza shop is it's not, not going to open. <laughs> and the following week, it burns to the ground. Who would the police consider is the prime suspect? Well, if we use NATO logic, the owner of the new shop. He, yeah, he, burned, burned, his own, he, burned, he burned his own pizza shop down so the mob wouldn't get it. Right, <laughs> right. If you, used, if you used the NATO logic. But in, in a real world... Yes, it would be assumed the mob did it. The guy that said, I assure you, it's never going to open. So there you have a German official who one week ago said... It'll never open. It will never open. And it just happened... The CIA called the German intelligence agency and said, we got a tip. <laughs> yeah, someone's going to attack some pipelines somewhere. Yeah. Not saying which ones, yeah. but some pipelines. It's, yeah, it's going to be big. It's going to be really big. And then you add that to Victoria Nuland and President Biden, their comments from uh, earlier this year and earlier this month, uh, you know, about, well, I assure you, we're going to have an answer Speaking for that. Speaking about Mr. Biden's uh, threat that it will never open. That, that the U.S. had ways to stop the pipeline. A French politician who ran for president of France, he wants uh, Joe Biden to publicly explain what he meant by that threat. Right. So Nicolas Dupont-Hainan, the uh, head of the Parti de la France, uh, France Arise, and a former French presidential candidate on Thursday urged U.S. President Joe Biden to explain himself regarding the Nord Stream pipeline incidents, given he had opposed their construction and launches. He said, the sabotage of the Nord Stream 1 and 2 gas pipelines is an unprecedented attack on the sovereignty of European countries treated as vassals. What interest would Russia have in shooting itself in the foot? Given his threats in February, Mr. Biden needs to explain himself, dupont Anand said on social media. And he's right. Uh, he should explain himself, but I don't think President Biden even knows what's going on around him no. uh, to explain himself. And we have so. Jennifer Griffin's assurance from the Pentagon no, that, we had that the U.S. didn't do anything. That they you know, were innocent. We didn't didn't even think about blowing it up. So he needs us to chill out, relax. Joe Biden's not going to explain anything. Nobody's going to ask him. Right. Who's going to go to a press conference and ask him? You can't even get media, independent media, into the press conference. Nobody's going to ask the question. These politicians are never held accountable because the media is controlled. The days of, of independent media questioning a politician in America. They're gone. That is, the only time they do it is when the media hates the politician, somebody like Trump, and then they, they're like a, a, a group of, it's like a pack of uh, rabbit Wolves. Right. Uh, but other than that, they're not going to question Joe Biden on anything. Now, this next story, NATO threatens retaliation for attacks on NATO members' critical infrastructure. They stepped it up, Doc. What NATO said today is we are very alarmed that Russia blew up its pipeline. <laughs> Sorry. I know. Just, it is crazy. The, the stupidness of it. But yes, but this, the stupidness is taking the world to nuclear war. Right. So NATO said, we are outraged that Russia blew up its pipeline. And we're warning Russia that if you ever touch our pipelines, we're going to fight. 
You can blow up your pipelines, but don't you touch our pipelines. Well, uh, from Morningstar Online, uh, NATO escalated tensions with Russia today by threatening to retaliate for any attacks on its members' critical infrastructure and suggesting that damage to two gas pipelines in international waters off Denmark and would-be member Sweden had been caused by sabotage. Any delivered attack against allies' critical infrastructure would be met with a united and determined response, NATO ambassador said in a statement, adding that the damage to the pipelines between Russia and Germany is of deep concern. The alliance also said that all currently available information indicates that this is the result of deliberate, reckless, and irresponsible acts of sabotage. Is that a confession? <laughs> These leaks are causing risk to shipping and substantial environmental damage. Yeah, you got to be really worried about that, not nuclear bombs dropping. Okay, so, on Doc, you. not only are they telling Russia, um, hey, you're, you're blowing up your own infrastructure, but if, if you touch our infrastructure, we're going to go to war with you. What, they're actually taking it a step farther. They're saying that pipeline was European infrastructure. Yes. Let's see, the pipeline that Russia built. Yes, that spent its own money on, financed through Germany. Was actually European infrastructure because it supplied, Euro it, it supplied Russian gas to Europe. Therefore, it was European infrastructure, and Russia blew up its own pipeline, meaning it blew up European infrastructure. You got it? You got the logic of this? Uh, the illogic, but yes. NATO's setting the stage to attack Russia. Now, NATO knows that NATO states are going to be attacked. Russia is going to retaliate. This. This is what I want everyone to understand. It's going to happen. We, this week, World War III went to another level. There will be retaliation. Something big is going to go down. I don't know what it is. You know, it may not be energy. It could be other pathways of infrastructure. There's a lot of infrastructure out there. But something big is going to go down. Russia is going to take out something in retaliation. That's what we have to brace ourselves for. Again, the idiots running the West are taking the world to a nuclear nightmare. And, Doc, I feel like I'm, I'm in a really bad horror movie. And I want to wake up. I want this dream to stop. It's a nightmare. I just like make this. Come on, wake up, Rick. Wake up. This is a nightmare. This isn't really happening. But it is happening. And most of the public has no idea. They're not paying attention to it. If What little they do know, they just dismiss it as, hey, if we're the United States, we'll take care of it. Right. We're number one. We're number we can, one. We we'll, crush, we'll crush Russia. We'll, we'll wipe them out. And we'll just keep on going, and and we'll take out somebody else later. We'll take out China later. You know, they have no idea what the next day looks like if you're still alive. Right. If you're still alive, you have no idea what the next day is going to look like. So, um, did we read both qu uh, quotes? Here? Yes. Okay. So, so. I, I want to look at the uh, Jens Stoltenberg, the uh, Secretary General. All right, so of NATO. So this is his statement. So this is as official as you can get as a NATO voice. The sabotage of the Nord Stream pipelines is of deep concern. 
NATO is committed to deter and defend against hybrid attacks. Any deliberate attack against allies' critical infrastructure would be met with a united and determined response. Okay. So, so they're, me, they're making it very clear so, there. So let me, let me repeat this so we get a clear understanding. Without a doubt, the West or a, an actor closely associated with the West. A friend of the West. A friend of the West. A contractor, maybe. Blew up Russia's pipelines. NATO and its puppet news media is telling the world that Russia blew up its own pipeline. Then NATO says, any attack on NATO infrastructure would be an act of war, and we will retaliate. So NATO created the false flag that would drive Russia to respond. They blew up Russian infrastructure, knowing that Russia is going to respond now. The days of Russia holding back, that's over. That's over, Doc. Russia's not holding back now. And why should for, they? For years, for, for about two decades, I watched Russia hold back. They took all of the insults. They, t they absorbed all the provocations. They didn't respond. That day's over. Russia's now responding. So NATO has blown up the Russian pipelines. And then they have the audacity to tell the world that Russia did it. And, by the way, if Russia retaliates for what we did to them, we're going to, we're going to attack Russia. That's where we're at today, this Thursday, at the end of September. We're on the very edge of all-out war between NATO and Russia. This is happening very fast. I think the Kerch Strait Bridge is coming down, Doc. And they'll tell us that Russia blew it up. Blew up their own yes, bridge. Yes, blew up their own bridge, sure. They're gonna Why say, not? Because, yeah. because Putin's crazy. Yes. So we got to do something about him. He's crazy. He's lost his mind. He's blowing up bridges. He's blowing up pipelines. This guy's out of control. we got to go in there and get him. Yes. That's what they're going to tell the world. So get ready for it. Now, let's see... I want to say we've mentioned possibility that other actors could be involved. And uh, you always ask the question, who stands to gain? Right. So if a house catches on fire and, you know, it's mysterious causes, mm -hmm. you start asking yourself the question, well, you know, the insurance company will ask. Right. Well, who benefits from, yes. from this? That's right. Well, let's take a look. This is France 24. And this is uh, November 20th, 22. Sensitive offshore gas field, key to Israel's energy strategy. All right. So now, in this article, Israel is preparing to activate an offshore gas field near its disrupt disputed maritime border with Lebanon, aiming to boost energy exports to Europe, but risking further tensions with its northern neighbor. Israel and Lebanon, still technically at war, have engaged in an on-off U.S. mediated talks since 2020 to delineate their Mediterranean border, which could allow both countries to boost offshore natural gas exploration. 
But the Karish gas field has emerged as a potential pitfall. Israel says the Karish license to London-listed company Energian is located entirely within its exclusive economic zone. Lebanon has claimed that part of the field falls within its own waters. Okay, so now this the gas field's been, we've actually talked about this mm-hmm. in the past here on True News, um, this particular gas field out there. A lot of these uh, negotiations on this particular gas field were uh, actually negotiated by Mike Pompeo and uh, with the former, uh, uh, you know, Netanyahu administration in Israel and so, and with Greece and Cyprus and a whole lot of different players going on uh, in there. Because this is a very big deal out here in the Mediterranean. And if you really want to be technical about it, it belongs to Palestine. Yes. It's off the coast of Palestine. But Palestine is occupied by Ashkenazim, uh, who infiltrated uh, into Palestine and overthrew the Arab uh, culture. And uh, so now they're, they're reaping the spoils of conquering a people. And, uh, but the people of Lebanon said, wait a minute, part of that gas field is in Lebanese water. Yes. And we want our share of the money. And that's what this is all about right now. So if that all gets worked out, that gas field will go online and begin shipping gas, Israeli gas, to Europe. That will replace Russian gas. I'm just saying. That's right. I'm just saying. It's just, it's a possibility, Doc. Who stands to gain? In this particular case, Israel and its partners there in the Mediterranean that are looking to benefit from this huge, monstrous gas field. Yeah, and and here's here's another from BBC. Israel and Lebanon gas field talks on knife's edge. So Israel is motivated to get the pipeline built and gas flowing. But things are being held back right now. Right, because they're arguing over, over money. Um, we'll show you a map of uh, uh, the border dispute. All right, so you see all these various gas fields here, and, and really combined, it's the Leviathan gas field. That's really what it's all about. And so you see uh, the various borders here, and the one that's in dispute right now is that that, what, that uh, little area there in red between the uh, Israeli waters and uh, Lebanese waters there. Which is uh, Palestine. Right. So um, so that's where the uh, fight is all about. Now, it's gotten to such a point that uh, even Hezbollah, which, you know, have been made themselves known in this uh, negotiation process, they've threatened to actually destroy, sabotage the Karish gas field. Right. They said if, uh, if the uh, Lebanese people were cheated out of their um, share of the gas field, Israel won't get anything. Right. And uh, they have they've been making threats, and they they recently produced a a video showing what Hezbollah will do to the Israeli gas uh, infrastructure. Let's watch it.
So that's Hezbollah making the, uh, you know, pointing out specific gas platforms out there in the Mediterranean that they say are within their range. Now, this was produced back in uh, July, uh, end of July here this year, a video produced by Hezbollah threatening the Kurdish offshore natural gas and oil field in the northern part of Israel's exclusive economic zone was posted to centralmedia.org. And the video shows images and coordinates of the Arendel Spirit Platform, the Energen Power FPSO, and the Stena Icemax drill ship. Uh, the captions in Arabic and Hebrew said that these targets are within the range of Hezbollah's missiles. And the images of these vessels were purportedly captured by Hezbollah's surveillance themselves between June 9th and July 30th of this year. And so there's an escalation in that region regarding gas and oil, yes. too. I, I think we're going to see a lot of energy infrastructure blown up. I think that's part of World War III before we get to the, you know, the, the big grand finale. I think you can see energy infrastructure being destroyed. Um, the Karish gas field is not Israel's only uh, um, energy uh, gold mine. Uh, the big one is Levi Leviathan. Yes. And um, this is a, a screenshot of a, of a company website uh, with uh, Leviathan. Uh, massive, massive reservoir of natural gas in the Mediterranean, uh, controlled by by Israel. Interesting that they and we've talked about Leviathan before, but they named it for a serpent. As a serpent, out you know from the you know for the Book of Job, and so mm -hmm. uh, Leviathan, and so oh, why um, wouldn't they? You know, I mean it's a serpent. Now, as Rick said, there's lots of. Uh, infrastructure out there that's vulnerable. So, uh, give you an idea. You know, we t talked about it, just a handful of gas pipelines. Let me show you how many gas pipelines there are in the world. Okay, there are at least 2,381 operational oil and gas pipelines around the world with combined length of over 730,000 miles. That's hard to comprehend, isn't it? Yeah, Doc. I, th I think the biggest ones are have a short lifespan. And so you see uh, a. Of course, North America, a lot, a lot of pipelines, both gas and oil pipelines, but then again in Europe as well. Uh, so uh, Nord Stream 1 and 2 were the two newest ones by Russia, but there are also pipelines extending uh, all throughout Europe, and some of those are supplied by Russia too. In fact, the one going through Ukraine right now yeah. is still operating, still running. <laughs> and so, and, and see, Doc, uh, Ukraine, Europe doesn't produce natural gas right but they buy it from sources such as russia but they once it comes in to whatever terminal then it has to be distributed throughout the european continent that's right. what these other gas uh, pipelines are doing uh, but if even if if europe comes up with some alternative sources if those other pipelines are destroyed it doesn't matter that they they found replacements there's no way to get the gas to the other countries. And that's where I think we're headed. To get ready in the coming weeks and months, I think this is going to be commonplace news. It's, it's, we're going to say, well, uh, here's, here's the list today of uh, this is the number of pipelines that have blown up since September. Right. And how many could that be? Well, let's take a look at the map of Europe here. Uh, so these are various maps of Europe showing you uh, the key oil and gas pipelines there. Uh, about. Uh, one-fourth of all the pipelines in the world, one-fourth, are in Europe itself, okay? So they only have to take out four. Yes. 
four key ones, and suddenly Europe is back in the Dark Ages <laughs> pretty quickly uh, because not only does uh, the fuel provide you know resources for manufacturing, for heating, it also provides energy for things like you like lights. Well, yeah, you need fuel for that. Uh, so, um, well, Doc so is what we're saying here. It's very, very vulnerable. Yes, and it's not only gas and oil pipelines, but there's a lot of other pipelines, information running, pipelines, information data pipelines, communication pipelines. Uh, I'm talking about undersea cables. Yes, where fiber optics are running between continents. This is a 2019 CNN report. The global Internet is powered by vast undersea cables, but they're vulnerable. Yes, and the Russians have naval ships with cable cutters on them. That's right. They have trawlers that have big power saws that drop down to the bottom of the sea and sever the cables. Right. And this is a story that Rick has reported on several times uh, over the past, what, 20 years, 20 plus years. Uh, give you an idea how extensive the global uh, cable uh, map is. Look at this. Uh, now, these aren't pipelines. Right. These are communication and data pipelines. Right. Going all throughout the, the world. Uh, you see uh, so many that go between uh, North America and Europe. Look at the concentration in the Caribbean. Rick has pointed that out several times, that there are several key trunk lines in the Caribbean that are very vulnerable and uh, could really shut down a lot of information flow to the U.S. Doc, I, I, you know, years ago I, I went to various islands and, and uh, inspected it myself. I saw, the, I saw the, the trunk lines coming in. I literally stood at the seas, saw the trunk lines coming into islands and uh, talked to the uh, local experts there and uh, realized that, that the Carib some of the Caribbean islands, I described it as the, they're just big routers. Yeah, like giant servers uh, sitting out in water. That's mm -hmm. basically what they are. And uh, I know in Curacao, there's a, you know, what they call a Cat 5 facility now, yes. mm -hmm. which uh, uh, doesn't mean like a hurricane category, but it was meant to, you know, withstand a yes. direct hit by a Category 5 hurricane. Yes. St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Island, is another big router island. A lot of cables coming into St. Croix. So if, if, if Russia severed cables coming into St. Croix and Curacao, North and South America goes dark in terms of communication and data. Your phone calls, your cell calls, they're going through the undersea cables. Yeah, they're not just bouncing yeah. around your, towers. Yeah, your emails are going through those cables. When you're searching for websites that are hosted in other countries, your, your search is going through those undersea cables. You sever the cables, the Internet comes to a halt. International phone calls come to a halt. I mean, you're now localized. You have Internet, but it's restricted. It's only inside your country. You have phone calls only inside your country. Get ready for it. Right. Okay? The U.S. Look, you, everybody, you, you know, everybody knows who blew up the pipelines. Yes. Everybody knows it. Let's just say it. NATO blew up the pipelines. NATO or a friend of NATO. Well, they contracted it yeah. to somebody. Okay. Yeah, NATO could deny it. The U.S. can deny oh, it. Yeah, so, well, you but, know, 
but you, you got friends. You got people that do those kinds right. of things yeah. for a living. Uganda so. didn't do it. Right. I mean, get, get real. What country did it? There are only a certain number of countries. It certainly wasn't Ukraine. Ukraine doesn't have a deep sea, uh, you know, explosive team or anything like that. So they're out of the picture. So you have to ask yourself, what nations have the ability to do this? There's only a few nations that can do it. A country that's capable of bringing down the Twin Towers. I would limit it to the, that group of countries. The countries that are capable of bringing down the Twin Towers. I would say the expertise is within that group of countries. So you, you do the math on the countries. And so now uh, Rick uh, came across an article today and I had actually found it on a different source somewhere else. I've been following Mobile World Congress this week and uh, they had this as their main article today oh, on their website today uh, and it says uh, Europe braces for mobile network blackouts. Okay. Now this is a story uh, that you have to kind of digest a little bit here. What once unthinkable Mobile phones could go dark around Europe this winter if power cuts or energy rationing knocks out parts of the mobile networks across the region. So you hear what they're, trying, they're telling you now. They're preparing you for mobile networks to go down, and they're going to blame energy rationing for it. Russia's decision to halt gas supplies via Europe's key supply route in the wake of the Ukraine conflict has increased the chances of power outages. In France, the situation is made worse by several nuclear power plants shutting down for maintenance. Telecom's industry officials say they fear a severe winter will put Europe's telecom infrastructure to the test, forcing companies and governments to try to mitigate the impact. Now, it says that currently there are not enough backup systems in many European countries to handle widespread power cuts, for telecom executive says, raising the prospect of mobile phone outages. European Union countries, including France, Sweden, and Germany, are trying to ensure communications can continue, even if power cuts end up exhausting backup batteries installed on the thousands of cellular antennas spread across their territory. And what do you do during a war? You shut down communications. Right. So they're already priming the audience, if you will. Oh, you want to riot? You want to riot against the, the globalists? Well, you can't call anybody, you can't text anybody because we shut your phones down. Yeah, you down. can't organize or anything right. like that because you can't communicate with one another. What are you going to do, send smoke signals? Yeah. I mean, oh, you want to complain that you're freezing in your house? Well, you don't okay. have any way to complain. But they had to do it to keep you warm, Doc. That's right. Either There's the logic. Do you, want, do you want to stay warm or do you want to talk? That's the logic. We're going to shut down the phone systems to conserve the energy that they're using for your phone calls. And we're going to move that energy over to your house to keep your house warm. That's the logic. But the real logic is we're going into World War III and the whole system is melting down and there's going to be civil unrest. And, and, and we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to preempt the people from communicating with each other. Can it come to America? Certainly. Obama set up the kill switch. One, one button, he shuts down the internet. He shuts down the phone system. You better believe it can come to the United States. We're in World War III. They're gonna activate every emergency power that they have. This winter is gonna be, if we survive it, 
it would be one that we talk about for a long, long time if we get through this winter. Um, a couple more stories before we wrap it up. Uh, I only got a few minutes here. Uh, uh, I'm going to go to uh, number 50. This is uh, uh, Financial Times. Bank of England chief economist calls for significant monetary response to turmoil. The turmoil he's talking about is in the British economy. The new prime minister, Liz Truss, who can't wait to push the nuke button. Yes. Uh, well, she's nuking the uh, British economy. Uh, it's really falling apart quickly, Doc. And um, what they call gilts, we call them bonds. Right. Doc, we almost had a meltdown this week. In the British bond market, they call, again, they call it gilts. We almost had a meltdown. Um, the Bank of England had to intervene and pump money, liquidity, into the banking system. To save the, to bond, save the, the bond, bonds. British bond market. Yes, because they were afraid it was going to trigger... A meltdown in derivatives. <laughs> got to protect those derivatives, don't they? You better believe it. Oh, you better believe it. You got to protect the derivatives. The derivatives. Doctor, I've not told this for a long, long time. In 1998, when the Holy Spirit called me to this ministry, and I, He gave me the vision when I was at, working at TVN. It was April 1998, and the Lord gave me a vision of cities on fire. And I saw the destruction, and I asked the Lord, what am I looking at? And he said, this is your country's future if your country does not repent. And I asked the Lord, why are you showing this to me? And he said, I'm calling you today to tell the people to repent. And I uh, reminded the Lord that he had just reprimanded me for things in my life that he was not pleased with. And he said, I'm not calling you because... You're holy. I'm calling you because you're a good repenter. When I convict you, you repent. Now, go tell people to repent. That was the instruction I got in 1998. Right. You want to know, if you're new to True News, you're wondering, uh, this old gray-haired guy, what's he doing? That's, I wasn't gray-haired when I started this, okay? That's 24 years ago. That's how I started. And I'm still... I'm still traveling on the energy, the spiritual energy that came out of that experience. But, Doc, in the summer of 1998, as I continued to pray and seek the Lord about the vision that he showed me, seeking more spiritual clarification, understanding, one day he told me, Watch the derivatives. Keep your eyes on the derivatives. I didn't know what a derivative was. This is 1998. Right. I didn't even know how to spell it. Okay. I just know. I, I know when I hear the Holy Spirit, I know that I know that I know. I know. I knew I heard the Holy Spirit say, watch the derivatives. When the derivatives start to crash, it will bring down the entire global financial system. So the first thing you had to do was figure out... What's a derivative? What's a derivative? So what is a derivative? So, you know, I went, well, basically, the, you know, the, the Rick's simplistic uh, definition is it's an insurance policy on debt. debt. Right. Okay. So uh, business number A uh, owes debt to business B, and business C comes in. 
and tells B, I will insure A's debt for certain amounts. Yes. Okay. And so there's a vast industry of this debt insurance out there. So we, you've got debt. Right. Trillions and trillions of dollars of debt. And then you got people betting on that debt. You got people betting on the on the debt, and it's not trillions; it's quadrillions. Right. Quadrillions. It's not, it's not just between businesses; it can be between countries as well. Yes. And it's all it's all based on it is a it's it's a gamble. It's a it's it's a risk that everybody will pay their bills. Right. That no, there will not be a default. What happened in 2008 with Lehman Brothers is that we almost saw a crash of the, of the derivative market. And that's why George Bush uh, called the U.S. Congress into a secret session and told them, we're hours away from martial law. They knew the derivatives were going to crash. The reason the U.S. government bailed out the Wall Street was to prevent the derivatives from, from failing. So this week... Well, a similar situation. A similar situation happened in London, and the Bank of England had to spring into action. And instead of, because what the what the U.S. central bank is doing is quantitative limiting, withdrawing liquidity from the market, not quantitative easing, pumping money in. That's what they were doing for since 2008. They've now gone into quantitative limiting. They're they're removing liquidity from the market. To slow down everything, to supposedly to bring down inflation, the Bank of England switched gears this week and said, "Oh, we're going back to quantitative easing, easing or we're going to lose everything." So that's what this headline is about. Bank of England economist calls for significant monetary response, and let's put up number 51. The cost to borrow money in Britain will triple will triple by next May. That's a significant monetary response. This is going to kick in in November. Between November and May, the Bank of England is going to triple the cost of borrowing money. So to borrow, to buy a house, a mortgage, to buy a car, anything, triple the cost. And interest between this November and May is the winter time, Doc. I mean, this is—you know—Biden promised us a dark winter. Well, he was uh, just he, one winter off. Yeah. So. Well, maybe, maybe we thought he was one winter off. Okay. But he's—he's he's giving us a dark winter. It's coming. This is going to be an extremely dark winter, and it's the beginning. If we don't have nuclear destruction it is financially it is the beginning of a 10 to 15 year cycle of extreme inflation high interest rates stagflation 10 to 15 years if you're young if you're in your 20s and 30s and even your 40s study what happened in the in the american economy in the late 70s mid 70s to the early 80s that's we're, we're we're repeating that cycle. Learn what happened. Figure out who who uh, survived and who thrived. And what happened next? Yes. Well, what happened next is we went into a boom cycle. Yes. 
And that boom cycle just ended. The boom cycle that started in the mid-80s with the stock market, it just came to an end this year. Now we're entering a new boom cycle, but not the financial boom. Yeah. More like a war boom. Yeah, yeah. Like we're going to get a lot of war booms. Uh, one more story. Uh, this is a, a Bloomberg. Mortgage rates had a 15-year high in the United States. We're, uh, we're looking at uh, um, this week, uh, mortgages jumped to 6.29%. Um, no, actually, 6.7%. Uh, yes. 6.7, the highest since 2007. And that was about a half a point jump since last week. Yes. So, And uh, it's not so been this high since uh, 2002. And it doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime yeah. soon either. One more story. I uh, actually got a couple more here. Um, biometric update. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation commits $200 million to global digital ID. Got to barcode everybody, Rick. Yep. And it's part of the United Nations Agenda 2030 operation. And so every single human will be given a unique identifying number. I read that somewhere in the Bible, in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And Mr. Gates just threw in $200 million to help it move along. Um... And then this last one. And this is a week old. Yeah. Creepy Joe Biden was talking out of his head, and he was referring to a woman who he has known, and he said, back then she was 12 and I was 30. Yes. Uh, this was at a teacher's conference where he was speaking at, and so uh, I've, I've watched the uh, video when it came out, and it's... It's creepy. Yeah, it is. He's creepy. And it's unsettling just to hear him speak about it. We, we have that video here. We all know he's a pedophile. So, uh, but just listen to the way he says this. But guess what? We got a lot to do. Gotta say hi to me. <laughs> we go back a long way. She was 12, I was 30, but anyway. And they thought that was funny. Yeah, they were. You know, just the implication there. What does that mean? And no one asked him. No one asked him for clarification. They they wouldn't even ask the White House press secretary, the lesbian press secretary, what's going on. Uh, no one asked. What did he mean? I, she was 12, I was 30. Well, what do you mean, Mr. President? Because so, America is ruled by the perpetual corruption, sleaze, pedophilia, and war party. And he is one of the prominent leaders. So if you're a pedophile, you rise to the top in American politics. You rise to the top in the media. If you're a sex pervert, you rise to the top in American society. That's who's ruling this country. They're Luciferian devil worshipers. And Almighty God is going to bring it down. Well, Rick, we survived Hurricane Ian. Yes. And so, but some people south of us did. Yes, um, uh, devastation very uh, severe in uh, southwest Florida. Lee uh, and Charlotte counties are uh, severely hit. Doctor so. said Ian was uh, in the top five strongest hurricanes to ever hit America. Um, 
you know, we dodged a bullet here. Uh, we were without power yesterday, yeah. and so. Yeah, we, we had, and the power did not come on here at our church until what time today? About 1 o'clock. About 1 p.m.? Yes. Um, so we were still, you know, all the way up until 1 o'clock Eastern today, wondering if we were going to be able to yeah. be here in the studio today. The power so. went out of my home last night around 2 a.m., and uh, it still was not on when I left to come up here uh, this afternoon. So we, we have a generator. It was still running. Um, uh, the wind was horrific last night. I don't know what the gusts reached. It, strongest wind I've ever experienced in my life. It was uh, extremely strong. You, I mean, you could hear the wind howling around your house. Um, my biggest concern was the creek. We have a creek at our home. Right. And the creek was rising throughout yesterday. And, you know, if we had had sustained rain like we normally do in hurricanes, yes. uh, I was wor really worried about you guys down there. Well, Doc, so. I watched, if you watched on the radar, the, the outer bands that were coming up from, uh, you know, Naples and mm -hmm. uh, southern Florida, the outer bands were going around us. Yes. It, to to the uh, both sides of us, and we're talking about this region of, of Vero Beach, um, to the north and south of us, they were getting heavy rain. And we were getting moderate rain. It was a lot of rain, but it was moderate compared to communities just maybe 30 miles away in each direction. Right. It was just like we were in a bubble all day. And uh, that's why, you know, I kept watching it because I, you know, had one eye on the creek and it was, uh, the water was getting closer and closer to my house. And I thought, man, if, if any of this uh, torrential downpour comes today, you know, through the night. It would uh, have been bad. Uh, that creek is going to reach my house. But, you know, I got up this morning and it, 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 it you know, it was about um, maybe 20 feet from my house. That's getting close. Too close. Yeah, it's getting close. But if you, we'd had the continued rain like yes. we normally do. It would have been do, up to the house. It would have been pretty close. Absolutely. But as it stands right now, there's about 2.5 million people here in Florida without power. Um, I'm one less, and that power just came on my house Did about it? five minutes ago. I just oh, got good. a message from my wife. And so oh, well, we lost power about midnight last night. And so, um, But there's a lot of people to be praying for here in Florida, so be praying for them and praying for uh, God's... Uh, uh, redemption, God's recovery, and uh, that, uh, you know, really thank those uh, people that are out there working in the storm. And, you know, uh, Doc, when I was driving here this afternoon I, uh, on I-95, um, on the opposite side, uh, the southbound lane, mm -hmm. there was a caravan of first responders. And, uh, you know, that's when you're... Uh, the old-fashioned American patriotism kicks in. And I was wiping tears from my eyes as I was driving. You, you see, that's America. That's the heart of America. Right. The you see the caravan America. of first responders from other counties and other states. Right. 30 states right. have sent yes. uh, first responders here yes. in Florida. And I'm very, very grateful for every man and woman that has uh, come to Florida to help our fellow citizens here. Yes. Thank you, True News yes. uh, viewers and listeners. Yeah. So. All right, that's it for today. God willing, we will be back here tomorrow with uh, the latest report. We love you very much. Goodbye. God bless you.